When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Billy Joel had a lesser-known song maybe 30 years back called Running on Ice. That title and lyric may be describing every team in the NL East right now. Everyone trying to put together a sprint into the win column, but everybody finding it difficult to do. The Mets have been on that slippery treadmill pretty much all year, and they jump right back on it Monday night in Miami, losing the opener of a four-game series, 6-3. to A review, and maybe we start a mid-80s Billy Joel cover band, too, like in Step Brothers. Next. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now. Here's Josh Lewin. I'm telling you, if seasons were cell phones... Everyone in the NL East is in airplane mode right now. Since topping out at 10 games over 500 June 16, the Mets are five games under since, and they've barely lost any ground in the division, thanks to very similar issues in Atlanta and Philly. But the Phillies did win Monday night, so the collar is tightening. The division lead now at just two and a half. Josh Lewin with you. We'll have a fine little podcast for you today. There's a lot of fine Mets content out there, as I'm sure you know. As Elvis Costello saying, not Billy Joel, don't get me talking, I could talk all night. But from Shea Anything on SNY, to Sounds from Seaver Way on WCBS, to what the New York Post puts out, to the Athletics Great Mets podcast, the Orange and Blue thing with the Seven Line guys, Amazing Avenue, We Gotta Believe on Barstool, Simply Amazing, Mets stuff, on and on and on. There's so much great stuff out there already, and I'm forgetting about a dozen others, my apologies. The great blogs out there, from Faith and Fear and Flushing to the creative and exhaustive Mets Fix, Metsmerized Online, etc., etc., etc. Hopefully, this one, this little project here, finds a place in your space. And if it does, we are very glad to have you here every day, Monday through Friday. The Mets' big issue all year, I think you'd agree, is hitting that little white orb with that big two-pound club. Uh, 2.7 runs per game on the 11-game homestand. They're still 29th in the majors in runs per game for the year. At least they're finally past that string of TBDs on their schedule for starting pitching. Got that with Carlos Carrasco back. But DeGrom's still out till September. Taiwan Walker's ERA is 15.4, his last three starts. Stroman just allowed four runs in his last start. At least on paper, the Mets have enough pitching to get by now between Stroman and Walker and Carrasco and McGill and the trade deadline guys, Rich Hill and Trevor Williams. That's some good news. And I think some more good news, the Mets' final 58 games will include 20 against these last-place Marlins and what's left of the Nationals. You compare that to 13 such games for the Phillies and 15 for the Braves. So I thought a chance to begin the fattening-up process against Jesus Lazardo making his Marlins debut Monday night. He was the controllable contract that came the other way in the Starling Marte deal. You know, 23 players with at least one all-star selection moved that last week of the trade deadline. Remarkable. Starling Marte was one of them. And the Marlins without Marte, without Adam Duvall, 
Uh, it just removes a row of teeth from the shark, so to speak. Remember when the Marlins played at Land Shark Stadium for a bit? That was one of the many things old Joe Robbie Stadium was called, the one that uh, hosted Super Bowls and whatnot, but also a couple World Series teams. That place was called Pro Player Park at first, then Pro Player Stadium, Dolphin Stadium, Dolphin Stadium, Landshark Stadium, Dolphin Stadium again, Sun Life Stadium, New Miami Stadium, and now Hard Rock Stadium. Place has been around for 34 years, has had more names than Larry King had wives, 9 to 8. Now the new place, which was Marlins Park, is now Lone Depot Park, that's Lone with a lowercase l for some weird marketing reason, although I guess DeGrom with a lowercase d is weird as well. Uh, You want to hear two quick stories from this ballpark just to take the edge off the loss that I will always tell for no good reason here. Sure you do. Story number one. First time I ventured out to the nightclub, the Clevelander, beyond left field after a game at this place to meet a friend, not, not to dance to techno music, I swear. No one told me that part of the floor is an infinity pool. You'd think they'd have a rope up or something. I was this close to Michael Scotting it, going in the koi pond like like on The Office. Who puts a body of water in the middle of a nightclub? Seriously. And story number two, probably more relatable for other broadcasters and media types around baseball because everyone has dealt with this at this place. The dopiest elevator setup of any building in any sport I've ever seen. So you walk into the media entrance, there's an elevator right there. And I, like so many other media members... I am fully capable of pressing an up button. I've done it before. But there's a security guard there that they pay to tell you to never press that button. Instead, the security guard gets on a walkie-talkie, old-school walkie-talkie, calls the elevator operator and says, pick up on one. Then you stand there like an idiot until the door opens and the security person says, take him to six. I mean, this system does keep two people gainfully employed, and that's great, but It just seems like a needless extra step. Anyway, Derek Jeter's group has now been in charge for four seasons in Miami. And originally, that new ownership group had somehow made these fans here pine for the days of Jeffrey Loria. There was another gutting of the fish right away. Third ownership group to walk on in and do that. Jeter's group walked in, traded away not just John Carlos Stanton, but the other two stud outfielders, Ozuna and Yelich and D. Gordon. It's like the worst lemon squares ever baked to impress your new neighbors. They did away with the home run sculpture and the sea creature race. Uh, but anyway, the, the plan that new ownership put in place is actually starting to bear some fruit. They stayed the course, they got their brains beaten in with stopgap guys for a while, but now they have stockpiled pitching and athletes. They have traded great talent away, of course, the three outfielders we mentioned and JT Real Muto, but those guys never had a winning season. Stanton was here eight years, never reached 500. That whole crew and the late Jose Fernandez, they were together for five years, never had a winning record. They had the worst farm system in baseball, no organizational depth. They have poured a lot of resources into player development and scouting, something the Mets are now looking to do. A farm system that was number 29 or 30 for forever is now top five. Now, what they don't have this year is a winning record after making the playoffs last year. Their run differential is actually better than that of the Mets. That's a crazy stat since they're 11 games behind the Mets. If they were winning this year, everyone would be happy following up in their playoff season of 2020. But 17 games under coming in, the parade is on hold for Derek Jeter at the moment. The never-ending swirl of different players wearing the same hat continues. Case in point, the man on the mound for them, Jesus Luzardo making his Marlins debut 
South Florida native coming home, electric fastball, disappearing changeup, conjures up images of Johan Santana, say some of the scouts. Although he's an Oakland athletic this year, a very non-Santana-ish 6.8 ERA. For the Mets, Tyler McGill, whose 1.04 ERA in July was best in the majors for pitchers who threw at least 25 innings. McGill had allowed one or no runs in each of his last five starts, a feat matched by just one other rookie in Mets history. That's Doc Gooden. All of that very impressive. Then he went out and had a horrible first inning. Four runs in before a single out recorded. The big blow, an opposite field home run by the king of second chances, Lewis Brinson. Up and down five times this year alone. Career 193 hitter, somehow hitting cleanup for these guys. Oh, and he cleaned up. Third career salami. That's three times as many as his boss, Mr. Jeter, had in his Hall of Fame career. Bernard Gilkey never had a Grand Slam. Ed Cranepool never had a Grand Slam. Couple 1980s sluggers, Glenn Davis and Ron Kittle, never had Grand Slams. Lewis Brinson now has three. So the Mets, with McGill behind in the count that entire first inning and having given up no first inning runs in his first seven starts, four here right off Brinson's bat. Mets will get one back in the top of the second. A wild pitcher didn't really get that far, but Javi Baez went all Lightning McQueen to storm home from third. His base running is a very nice add to this team for sure. Later in the inning, Brandon Drury, who's been hot, doubled in J.D. Davis, who's not been hot, and the Mets were back to within 4-2. to two. That, by the way, has been the average final score of a Mets-Marlins game this year, 4-2. to two. And we had that total with two outs in the top of the second Monday night. McGill held him down in the second, and in the third, Florida native Pete Alonzo brandished his weapon. Now the 1-1 pitch. Fastball driven deep into left field, and that ball is out of here. Home run, Pete Alonzo. Well, he continues to be a road warrior. 17th home run on the road and on the season. That is number 24 for Alonzo, and the Mets... Draw that much closer. Now 4-3 Miami. Ed Coleman with the call on WCBS. And yeah, most of the heavy lifting on the road for the Polar Bear this year. Uh, Miami would tack on a run in the bottom of the inning. 5-3 now. McGill, who seemed to tweak something in his leg while trying to run out an infield grounder in the fourth. Baez did as well. Remember, this is a state where both McNeil and Conforto went down with soft tissue injuries earlier this year. That miserable series in Tampa St. Pete. Stretch well in South Florida, fellas. Don't know what else to tell you. Changeup wasn't really working for McGill for whatever reason on this night. Usually a 38% whiff rate on that pitch, which is really high. It was only 18% in this game. But he battled. Five innings, five runs, four earned, no walks, four strikeouts. The ERA jumped up to 268, which is still just fine. Very Seth Lugo, Robert Gazelman, circa 2016-ish. Aaron Loop, a scoreless sixth. His last 25 appearances, ERA of .38. Oh, and speaking of left-handed relief pitchers, the tatted-up, glasses-wearing Anthony Bonda no longer a Met. Claimed off waivers by the Pirates with an ERA of 7.36. I'm sorry, ERA, because, you know, Pirates. I, uh, I will say this. Of the contending NL East teams, give the Mets bullpen full marks here. The Braves have been a disappointment all season. The Phillies are a tire fire in that regard. Again, Jose Alvarado has put 25 men on base his last nine innings. The reliable lefty in the NL East out of the pen is the post-game beer man Aaron Loop. What a godsend he's been. So Mets threaten in the top of the eighth. They get runners at the corners two out. 
Former Met Anthony Bass on the mound for Miami. Righty James McCann do up. Pinch hit call goes out, not for Michael Conforto, who's hitting a buck 96 now, but for Jonathan VR, who's been a much hotter hitter of late. He gets up 3-0, eventually works the walk. The hottest Met going gets to hit with the bases loaded. The unheralded Brandon Drury, but against the reliever Dylan Floro, even though Drury's 12 for his last 19, he grounds out very sharply to short. Bottom of the eighth, Trevor May leaves a changeup up. Miguel Rojas whacks it up the alley for a triple. Gold-plated RBI chance for the league leader in RBIs, Jesus Aguilar. But May pitches around him, walks him, brings up Brinson, the grand slam guy. Slow rolly to third, a run's going to score either way. J.D. Davis set to field it, but he gets Kelly leaked by Javier Baez. Baez stepping in front of J.D., fields the ball, throws wildly to first. No outs achieved, error number 19 this year for Baez, most, uh, second most of any shortstop. Second and third, nobody out. 6-3 Marlins now. Intentional walk to load the bases. Credit to May. He gets a strikeout, a lineout, and a groundout. Keeps it at 6-3. Last chance for the Mets happening as the Phillies were scoring five times in the ninth to beat the Nationals. Conforto does pinch it, and he pummels a double into the right field corner. So here we go. Pilar up next, hitting just 2-12. Grounds out, but Conforto scoots to third. Alonzo up, not as a tying run, unfortunately. He pegs one to right, but it's caught. Jeff McNeil 0 for 4 for the night at this point, a tad overdue since he'd been on base 19 games in a row. He scorches one to third, but it too is caught, and your final is 6-3. to three. Mets lose for the fourth time in five games, and when it was over, Luis Rojas met the media. Hey, Luis, you know, first of all, with, with Javi, is, is that heel, ankle, what what was bothering him tonight and that I guess at this point, just what, what is he dealing with from, you know, back even before the deadline? Okay. Not, not the ankles, uh, like the heel area. I think he, um, he had a contusion there, uh, just hitting a bag, um, in the July 20 something. And he specifically remembers the day and everything. Um, and he, he's been, you know, dealing with it, but he can play through it. And as you guys saw later in the game, when he beat that infield hit and went for third, scoring a wall pitch, and I mean, he just basically um, sometimes hits it. But in that particular play, he was he was going to try to dive, try to go head first, and then he changed his mind. He kind of like hyperextended his uh, leg, and he was um, so that step was absorbed by the by the heel, uh, basically. And that's he, I mean, he just felt it again, but he told us immediately that he was he was good. Uh, and then it's something that's happened to him and it's almost like he uh, feels it, but then he goes away and then he can play. He can play with it. What'd you make of McGill's night overall? What, and what specifically changed for you after those first four batters? Yeah. Well, I, I think is the, the, the two strikes uh, uh, counts uh, got him a little bit. I mean, he wasn't able to put guys away and and he didn't have a lot of trouble uh, doing that against the other teams that he's faced. This guy's, did a pretty good job, laid off some pitches, fouled some pitches, um, and then we're able to put a ball in play uh, and get singles uh, into strike counts. Like Chisholm did it uh, in the in the uh, in the first inning, and that that kind of set the tone uh, later later on. Isan um, Diaz did it did it against uh, against him as well, but uh, you know he, we saw the stuff there once again once again playing. I think we didn't play good defense behind him. There was one ball that was recorded a single that shouldn't be a single. Uh, I think he uh, um, legitimately gave up three earned runs, not four. Uh, but 
you know, we, we trust this guy. This guy's, you know, had a tough first inning there. And, and you saw him kept the same poise, kept, kept attacking matters and gave us five innings after almost having 30 pitches in the first inning. So there's not much to say. I mean, it, you know, he threw the ball well for me. So the Mets end up losing. Keep in mind, this 10-game stretch against the Marlins, Phillies, and Nationals is the salad before the steak. This is what leads into the critical 13 games and 14 days against arguably the two best teams in the league, if not all of baseball, San Francisco and L.A., can't go five and five or four and six to limp into the octagon. You, you want to jump in there off the top rope with a seven and three or an eight and two. So losing this opener Monday night, they will need to kick it into gear very soon. They'll have that opportunity this evening. Taiwan Walker, whose ERA is now 3.71, he'll be on the mound for the Mets. The Wednesday night game is Carlos Carrasco up against Zach Thompson. Rich Hill will get to pitch the matinee getaway game on Thursday against Trevor Rogers. The final line score for the winning Marlins, it was six runs, seven hits, and no errors. It was three, seven, and two for the Mets, who do drop to two and a half games up now on the Phillies. So we'll thank you for listening right here. We'll thank the house band, too, the Mets in the Morning house band. They're no Green Day, who will be playing City Field on Wednesday night. But we do have on keyboards Brent Gaff. Slapping the bass, John Mayberry Jr. The horn section, how about Terry Bross? And kicking out that downbeat on the drums, Buddy Carlisle. Thank you, buddy. Thank you very much. Thank you once again for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. Leave us a nice five-star Uber review if you'd be so kind. And uh, we will look forward to seeing you at City Field before too long, but not before there are more games we played on this road trip, the next of which is indeed tonight. Josh Lewin signing off. Sorry we didn't have better news. Bye-bye.